This is a Momentum Media production. Nerd alert! Property Nerds, <laughs> the home for data-driven property investors, where we uncover Australia's hot and cold markets, latest headlines and trends. That's right. Latest headlines, trends, hot, cold markets, a lot to talk about today. I'm your host, Arjun Paliwal of the Property Nerds podcast, and I'm here with my co-host, Lee. How are you, Lee? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Thank you, Lee. And uh, when it comes to property investing and trends, I think a lot of this month, and in particular last month as well, has been more than ever about finding those X-factor scenarios for borrowing capacity, looking at the changes happening in the the finance world we're in. Of course, it's getting closer and closer to a period where people are more proactive than ever or are forced to be proactive Mm -hmm. simply because of what we're seeing, right? And I think that's clearly, we talked about this in the last episode, sparked a refinance boom. And uh, that has two things that we talked about. One is it means that people aren't in prison like people say they are because a lot of people are moving. Mobility and refinance shows that. But the second thing is, it also showcases that people are proactive, but probably now needing to be more proactive than ever, because it doesn't seem to be fading away in the last 10 months, when you look at it, 11 months of rate rises. Yeah. So 10 rate increases, another one for March announced. Yeah. (laughs) Which I'm sure you guys are all been following and are aware of for another 0.25 bringing the cash rate to 3.60%. Look, I reckon mentally most people have come to terms with we are going to see continual rate increases. There's talks about potentially another one or two more cash rate increases for this year in the coming months. And yeah, it is what it is. So people are getting on with what they can do. On that note, we're seeing predictions start to show the other side of what you know, we've been seeing, right? We've seen the sharpest now increase of rates, but now we're having predictions on the other direction. Do you want to talk about some of the predictions you've been reading and hearing about in your bank conversations? So Westpac made a prediction just recently that we will have two more rate hikes forecast by May 2023. And then before, this is all before the RBA pauses in 2024, when they deem cuts to be necessary. So they suspect a minimum of four rate cuts in 2024 of about 25 basis points each time. So that's 1% in total, uh, you know, cut on the cash rate. And this is what their their predictions are for 2024. So if we're sitting at 3.6 at the moment, maybe another 2.25s, mm. you know, mm. for April and May, and then another 1% off that in, in 2024 is yeah. kind of what they're predicting. Now on the whole rates, Topic. I know we take a small segment of that each podcast to go through, but we want to make it very clear that we're not here just to be handing on interest rates, and nor have we ever done that in the past, because interest rates are just one factor to everything that we look at when it comes to housing and finance analysis. However, from a, a data perspective, the weighting obviously plays a key part when it comes to the cost of money and the accessibility of money, which in turn impact house prices or have a impact in the picture of house prices, which is why varying results and not everything declined. Some did, some did by more, and some didn't. So I guess from a perspective of looking at rates, I want to take a small pause just to be able to say and break down what these predictions may have in mind, which is rate rises slowing and then in turn falling. But 
what is the sequence of events that makes these predictions potentially come true? Because that's more important than anything. I think one thing that the Australian public is now very much aware of and hates are is actually predictions coming from all angles and much mm. the opposite happening. We talk about True. going back to the RBA governor talking about 2024, no rate rises until then. Well, that was obviously very much look. uh, looking at that, <laughs> right? Banks saying 30 40% price declines in COVID and the opposite happened. Opposite, yep. And then people saying rates ending, rates rising more, lots more pain, and then not as much pain or not as much rate rises or falls as many people thought. I guess the main thing here is predictions aside, why don't we take a moment to break down the chain of events that may lead to that prediction. So when you're focusing on predictions, don't focus on what the end outcome of that prediction is, being Westpac said this, so therefore we must do X. Focus on the chain of events that must happen for a certain prediction to come in play. And I'll start sharing a couple of them. So firstly, 7.8% inflation rate came down to 7.4. Coming back to the core target band rate, like the range, 2 to 3% as a focus by the RBA, is what they're trying to bring it down to. Hence, engineering or hopefully engineering a, an inflation rate reduction by charging up interest rates as quickly as possible. Now, seeing that first reduction from 7.8 to 7.4 is a step in the right direction, but obviously too early to call overarching because there are things that play in the inflation basket, things like rents, which are increasing heavily. And with rents increasing heavily, they are a force as a headwind in one direction to combat rising costs for investors, but they're also a force and a headwind in the other way for renters who are then paying more, which then contribute to higher inflation. So it's a it's a catch here. On one side, it's saving investors from higher costs, and the other side, it's contributing to what creates the higher costs. So this is something to realize. Now, the next thing in the chain of events that we're starting to notice is that we track job advertisements heavily. And job advertisements have a correlation with unemployment rates. The stronger job advertisements increase, we tend to see unemployment rates decrease, in which we saw rapid increases in job advertisements over the last few years. However, now we're seeing a turn in job advertisements and job advertisements are lowering, which is usually a sign of business confidence and, of course, what unemployment rates will eventually do. Hmm. The next statistic is we're seeing job applications per advertisement increase. Up. Yeah. I can just share that from our current business, right? In our current business, the last time we had an associate buyer's agent role, we had between, I think, 10 and 15 applications. Now we've got over 40 plus in the most recent batch, and it's only been one week. And it's a South Australia-specific role. Mm. Before, it was pretty broad. So you can see how much the job applications per advertisement are picking up uh, from our micro case. Now, the next thing here is that as migrants also keep coming in, they don't all come in with a job secured. Life's not that easy. Not no. everyone's coming off a plane and going, woohoo, let's go Sydney, six figures, baby, here we come, money, no way. let's make it happen. That's not what's Very happening. Rare. People are coming off and they will have to search in this heightened environment of competition. Mm -hmm. Then we're seeing some larger players start to change their, I guess, workforces both overseas and now potentially locally. And then eventually what happens is that as fixed rates start to roll off, not saying I've said in the past that I don't think it's catastrophe everywhere, but as fixed rates start to roll off, as people are now making those changes, those choices, yes, consumption is still relatively very high, but that should also slow. So what you're seeing is chain of events. So as, a, as an analyzer of data and as someone who researches for a living, I want to share with you listeners do not get caught up in the predictions. 
get interested and analytical with the chain of events. And that should then force your thinking of how you adapt to markets. And so that way, you aren't going gung-ho because a prediction said something, or you aren't going the opposite because a prediction said something. You're much more balanced and neutral, and you watch out for chain of events. But in saying that, I don't want the rates to be the all or nothing for your portfolios no. because the true success is a portfolio success comes from three things, buying a lot of property, holding it for a long time, and three, eventually having little to no debt that creates income. It's simplest of forms. That's what it equals. And that does not happen from over-analysis. That happens from action-taking, doesn't it? Well, I would say my point of view is always very simple, and it's that if you have the means to be able to buy now, I'm talking about investors today, um, yeah, that's high rates. But if you can get in the market now, you'll always be better off doing so now rather than waiting for another six months. Are you in agreement with that? Yeah, or? totally. Because that's the approach we took, right? Yeah. We as a couple purchased five properties in 2022. Yeah. And that had nothing to do with timing the market or cycles or things like that. No. It had simply to do with a plan. It had simply to do with the ability. Leverage as well. Leverage. Policies, all that kind of stuff. And the buffers. It was yes. all of those put together. I had buffers. I have a plan. And I have capability and capacity. And that's what it should come down to. Now, speaking of buffers, policies, right now, this is a offer of support and offer of help for investors out there who are listening to the show and thinking of a couple of things. One, improving your current financial position from interest rates and costs. Two, is if you are looking to grow your portfolio, have strategic finance options that allow you to do so through tactful lending strategies. And three, is understand that from the experience that we have in looking after clients, what are some of the things that we're seeing that is allowing people to take their portfolios to new levels while managing risk and ensuring that they aren't in a position where they don't reach their goals. So Lee, you've got some pretty amazing strategies you've deployed for some of our clients, and I think it's more relevant today than ever. Could you talk about the first strategy that comes to mind when it is about keeping buffers on your investments and still being able to invest with higher loan-to-value ratios? Because that's a very important way of how we grew our portfolio, higher loan-to-value ratios. Well, yeah, we were in the bank and we could borrow up to 90% without LMI. So that's a major benefit we took advantage of back at the beginning. But one of the major policies that's available at the moment for investors is you can actually borrow up to 90%, uh, 97% correction, inclusive of lender's mortgage insurance on an investment property. Now, this is very special. As you may know or may not know, generally lenders will cap you out at 90% maximum loan-to-value ratio inclusive of lender's mortgage insurance. This is a whole 7% additional to that. And obviously, by having a higher loan-to-value ratio, that's meaning less money tipped in for both deposit and purchase costs, meaning more buffers available meaning if rates continue, which we're thinking another two months of cash rate increases, you have the additional cash sitting in your offset for buffers, obviously to help soften that blow, but also buffers for anything personal, whatever the reason might be, maintenance on the property. It might be getting you to, to your deposit on the next investment property sooner as well. This is another strategy for those 
less risk adverse investors who kind of want to say instead of, okay, I'm going to buy one investment property, I can actually utilize this policy to potentially buy two now. Mm. Now on this policy, there are three core points you told me offline about, which were one, you can expect slightly higher interest rates. Two is that- Principal and interest must repayments. Must principal and interest, good point. And then three is that 97, please don't think that means 3% deposits, 97% inclusive of mortgage insurance, yep. which usually means around 93 to, to 94, right? So so how I say is it's normally 2 to 3% of the loan that goes towards lender's mortgage insurance. Mm. So it's going to be about 94 to 95% that goes towards the purchase. And if we think 94, what that men then means just from the more conservative number, 93, 94, is that the deposit you should have is about 67% of the purchase price. And then cost for stamp duty, buyer's agent, lawyers, pest and building. And then the rest of your cash considers buffer. So it's a good point, Lee. Thank you so much for that first policy. Now, when it comes to anything of what we're going to share today, how can people reach out to you? Because this is your specialist space. You've been saving people money. You've been getting them buffers for their family. You've been also been able to make sure people can still hit their goals. How do people reach out to you to have a quick chat? Yeah, one of the best ways is through our website, hillsfinance.com.au forward slash contact. There's a form that you can fill out. Otherwise, you can just call our 1300 number, 1300 697 063 to go straight through to us during business hours. And we'll get a time booked in to have a chat about your portfolio. Now, the next tip that you had, Lee, was around where people may not be looking to purchase more property, but servicing is a little bit tight for them. And this is where they're in a situation where I'm trying to refinance, but I am stuck. And yeah. at the same time, I want a better rate because I don't like where I'm at now. I want to refinance, but I'm stuck because people are telling me I can't refinance. You've been able to find some solutions. Could you talk to us about this term dollar for dollar refinancing? Yeah. So a lender we've got access to will provide dollar for dollar refinancing for both owner OC and investment properties without completing a borrowing capacity test, which means they essentially won't assess whether your income on normal circumstances can service the debt. So there's no, you know, verification, full verification of income, assessment buffers applied to the new loan taken out, et cetera. The absolute main things that this lender would want to see is obviously a lower interest rate that you're taking on. They would want to make sure you're taking on the same repayment type, meaning if you're currently on PNI, obviously it would be a principal and interest type repayment loan or interest only if you are on interest only and decent credit score. And generally they want to see that your loan's been there for 12 months or more. But in saying that, they just look at the loan at hand that you're refinancing and and that's really it. They they will not want to ask if you've got employment, of course. They want to know it will have some sort of capacity to be repaid, but there's not that full borrowing capacity test involved. Um, so it's more about and, staying clean on how you manage the property and the repayments to then allow for a move versus, you know, you can't just move if you have a whole bunch of missed repayments and it's no not way. working out. Yeah. So you've got to have a decent credit. This will be highly beneficial for people who have continued to grow their portfolio and their loan-to-value ratios have gone down as property values have gone up, right? Because the lower the loan-to-value ratio, the better the interest rate that they'll honor you. is. It's all based off tiered interest rate systems. So that's how that works. But yeah, we're getting a lot of success off that. 
um, especially because they've just recently brought in that option for investors, not just owner occupiers. Now, there's two other points you wanted to mention today around one core area, and that is getting a second wind on your borrowing, meaning the ability to go, hey, look, you might be stuck, but here's how you can borrow that little bit more to A, unlock an extra purchase or maybe even two extra purchases. What are some of the things you've been seeing around loan terms, assessment rates, and even loan structures? Well, the first part on loan terms, so there are lenders which offer varying loan terms, example, 40 years instead of your standard 30-year loan term. And so this is to help reduce repayments over the life of the loan alongside approve your assessment rate criteria. So obviously, if you're having the same type loan over 40 years opposed to 30 years, it's going to reduce what your repayment amount per month would be. Therefore, assisting with borrowing capacity. But the same lender, instead of doing your standard three and a half assessment buffer on whatever the rate you might be getting is, they'll look at your actual loan repayment. So meaning even if you're paying interest only repayments, they'll look at your actual loan repayment amount and put a 25% buffer on that. So actually it's very helpful to increase your borrowing capacity. So we're talking assessment rates there and essentially getting one that's more suited to reality than, than what, what's what's this hyperinflated buffer would be. This is hyperinflated buffer. Because we're crazy. doubling. Is this is crazy. <laughs> like, I mean, a hyperinflated buffer like that is essentially saying, hey, we know you're on six to seven percent rates, but we're gonna work it off ten. We're gonna work <laughs> it off nine to ten. Firstly, it gives me two feelings. One is you're completely stopping the flow of credit in this economy, which means you're going to have to pull back rates faster than what you think you would. Number two is that you're epically protecting all of us too at the same time. So it's like kind of two two sides to it, right? Because now we're like every mortgage that's been taken out is someone who's able to service it at 8 to 10% rates, which shows you like, yeah. hey, hats off to you for being able to buy a place in this environment on assessments of 8 to 10. You should feel so confident about your financial position because- that's what literally everyone's being serviced on. And that's a great you know, acknowledgement to you, the borrower, whilst limiting to many, it's an acknowledgement to those who have either refinanced or purchased property recently to say, you can service 8 to 10% rates. I think it has been a healthy approach until late because of where we're currently sitting at with interest rates. Because again, of that conservative approach, like you definitely can afford what you're buying from the banks. Like obviously the bank's super conservative. So in real life terms, repayments will be manageable. And I totally think they should bring that back down. Like I, I it just yeah. doesn't make sense in the current environment. Well, now where we're at, it makes sense to bring down. And the fact that, so obviously cost of living has gone up a little bit and they increased household living expenses or HEM, we like to call it, the other month, which increases the minimum expense required for your household to be factored in by the lender. Plus we've got the assessment buffer, the higher rates. So, I mean, there's got to be some give way mm. on one of those three things. Now, I guess the other part to improving your serving is something we've collaborated on a lot of late. And I'm talking a lot yes. more. I think it's been the most inquiries we've had in this space than ever before. Yeah, And this is the world of self-managed super funds. And I guess what people are, from what we're hearing, we're seeing two things. Number one, people want to take more control. Ever since COVID, we've seen this desire for control yes. of their own future happen a lot more than ever before. But the second thing is around the second wind, again, talking about that extra purchase or two. Correct. Could you explain more about self-managed super fund lending and why people are considering this and what's coming up a lot more? So quite often, an existing investor may get capped out on their borrowing capacity through their personal name or perhaps trust lending, which needs to be guaranteed by them personally. So 
an option that has been coming up regularly in discussions with me and my clients is essentially looking at the option of buying through your SMSF. And the reason for that is essentially you do get a second win in your borrowing capacity as your borrowing capacity through the SMSF is looked at in complete isolation from your personal assets or liabilities held. So literally, they would just be looking at what super contributions are you making annually? What is the proposed rental income on the property that you're going to buy? And that's essentially how serviceability would be worked out, obviously, including any additional incomes on existing SMSF properties and loan repayments on those existing SMSF properties. But if you're brand new to SMSF lending, it could be a great option if you either have individually or combined a total of 180K plus in superannuation, this could be an option that you're eligible for. And like I mentioned, it would be in a separate structure through your SMSF. Hence, it helps with that second wind. No, it's a great point, Lee. And SMSF lending, it is a core part, but I guess the main thing people should just be focused on is that, you know, it does require higher interest rates. They don't require, but it, they charge it does higher, have interest, higher rates. interest rates. So just be more mindful that, you know, whilst you've got the money and the ability to do so, it doesn't always mean it's the best thing. And this is where financial planners and us tag team a lot, accountants yes. tag team a lot with us to make it more holistic. So if you want to talk about the SMSF side of things and you haven't set one up or you've recently set one up and you'd like to go through this, you know, Lee's quite confident that we'll be able to find a solution for lending. So don't stress too much on that. I'd say more about, do you have that 150 to 180 minimum? Have you had a chance to set it up? And if you don't have a contact or the right team around you to set it up even, just reach out to me. It's investikit.com.au for a free consultation with our team. And we'll walk you through the you know process of SMSF, walk you through the contacts and relationships like financial planners and accountants to have on your team to make sure you're holistically reviewing it with the right setup and compliance. And then of course, Lee and I collaborate to execute the asset. So big thing that's happening on that front. Now, Lee, you've had the recent ABS lending indicators come out. Did you want to talk to us about what's happening on the finance front from January's data and what you're noticing? Yeah. So obviously two months delayed with us being in March currently. So in January 2023 for total housing, this fell by 5.3% to 22.1 billion after a fall of 4.3% in December. And so that was 35% lower compared to a year ago for total housing. So we're clearly saying, hey, 35% lower is the sign of two things, in my opinion, a shift in borrowing capacity, the ability to lend. Mm-hmm. And secondly, also fatigue. There was a big boom in January last year that was coming towards a, a bit of a slowdown for some locations and mm-hmm. continued for many. So a lot of activity, a lot of finance reduction there, but interest rates, the big culprit. Uh, yeah. What are you seeing around the splits when you break it down to, I guess, refinancing and other types of financing? So yeah, for external refinancing, total housing fell by 2.1%, but remained close to record highs of $18.6 billion. So the so record of refinancing is a great point to call out. Yeah, People, again, this is a great time that shows many Australians, if not the majority, are being proactive on their finance. And Definitely. secondly, it shows that the so-called prison of mortgages and not being able to move people locked in isn't as bad as many say because you're having the record highs of refinance, which means A, high proactivity and intent, but B, to refinance, you must be able to move, right? Correct. And so to be able to move shows that you're not stuck. So it's a great point to raise. And yeah. I think it constantly shows that we are in a better shape in Australia than we you know, think 
many think that we are. Yeah. Right. And so I know from a financing though, in terms of investors and owner occupier, they're both a little bit lower, but they did lower. I guess the main thing here is that this is a clear sign, just simply that the credit sensitivity, and I think this is one thing many analysts probably didn't take into account this time around as much as they have in the, I mean, didn't take it around this time around as much as they should have. Mm-hmm. And that is interest rate sensitivity and credit take up sensitivity. What I mean by that in simple terms is we've seen all these charts around, well, interest rates don't equal X or equal Y in the past, but as the debt has changed in Australia, so has the sensitivity to it. And as our policies have shifted, so has the sensitivity to those changes. So it simply means that you can't keep relying on the past data to tell today's picture just because we're in a different position of Australia's total debt positions and how borrowing capacities are considered. I still feel that in isolation, interest rates and finance take up aren't enough because on the micro markets, it's still a decision that a property investor can make, but they're definitely making a larger impact today than they have in the past, largely due to that sensitivity component mentioned. So uh, Lee, that's a really good recap of finance. Just to recap again, how can people get in touch with you to be able to make sure they can look at those higher loan to value ratio options, those creating more buffers, better loan terms, dollar for dollar refinance, more servicing, and of course, certain buying structures to boost their portfolio. Give us a call on one 697 or through the website hillsfinance.com.au forward slash contact and fill out the form. All right. So Investigate have had their latest monthly white paper released, which is very exciting. I know you guys work very, very hard on all your data and analysis. Super excited by that. It's just come out. And uh, on the note of the white papers, you know, just before we went through this particular white paper and the research for it, we had a chance to stock take some of the, I guess, the impact the white papers are making across the Australian okay. landscape. And by impact, I mean how popular they've been, uh, how- They've been useful, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, I guess useful, journalists reaching out, our media relationships reaching out, all that sort of stuff. So some insights on the research over the last year, 2022 calendar year, we did a media audit and Investigate Buyers Agency was one of, if not the most, featured buyers agency in the mainstream media for 2022. We had over 272 pieces of coverage across the likes of AFR, Weekend Today, uh, Seven News, and and more from Yahoo Finance, News.com, and the list continues. Uh, We had 13 TV interviews, uh, so more averaging more than one a month, but 13 across the year. And our white papers had thousands of downloads over that same time period with um, many shout outs, many messages. So I just wanted to say for everyone tuning in and reading them, downloading them, a huge thank you because all the action that you take and download and researching and reading and dropping us messages and these sorts of things give us confidence that this is valuable to you and we want to keep producing more of these. We produce 12 a year and they are completely free. Completely free. <laughs> Which and is extremely amazing. detailed. Like the shortest one we had was 20 pages. And some go up to 50 to 100, you know, plus pages, depending on what it is. So super pumped. Want to say a big thank you. I'm very excited by what 2022 had for us. And 2023 has more epic research coming your way and more tools as well. So stay tuned. I'm but, very um, sure of it. Yeah, that's the that's, that's a shout awesome out of that news. one. Very awesome news. Well, this month's report or white paper topic is Australia's uh, infrastructure boom. So 
if you haven't taken a look at the website yet, um, you got, need to go to investikit.com.au forward slash white papers. That's where you can access all the free white papers. And the most recent one there is the one we're going to discuss today. So um, did you want to talk a little about that report and I can dive into some questions? Totally. So I guess the main thing is there is a lot happening in Australia when it comes to infrastructure. And from a population level, we could be at 50 million by 2060 or 2066. Now, that is no small change. And I guess to keep up with this population, we need a hell of a lot more infrastructure. When it comes to the budget, the recent budget was huge with over $18 billion committed over the next 10 years, just by from a federal perspective. And then when you look at it just over the next four or five years of what's in progress planned, you know, already just completed recently, 2021 to 2025 has over $215 billion of major infrastructure. This is huge. I'm talking it's bigger or as big as some of the days that you'd have to go back to when cities were being created. This is that how that's how big it is and monumental it is. The spend happening now is as if you know, Australia is being reborn again. That's the kind of spend that we're seeing. But I thought that was why we wanted a deep dive into the topic of infrastructure, simply because it was at the scale. And we picked this up saying, hold on a minute, something's so happening. Yeah. Right. So on that note, that is why we we picked out this month and, and what we've really analyzed. So why would you say infrastructure analysis is important for investors? Okay. So coming back to the first point, and this is where research has a flaw and also an upside once you can understand the chain of events. And that's the key part. When it comes to the chain of events, this is where property has so many influencing factors. Uh, Infrastructure has money, and money that goes into it is usually for the purpose of materials and or jobs. Materials, in most cases, source locally, therefore also impact us from a perspective of other jobs that create those materials. But then you have the direct jobs that go into planning, project, construction, and post-construction to actually you know, use the infrastructure or use that provided facility. And so the main factor here is economic prosperity, job creation, and from economic prosperity and job creation, there are also flow-on effects depending on what type of infrastructure it is that impact lifestyle, social, recreation, these sorts of things can have flow and impacts, not just from a what jobs it creates and what prosperity it creates, but the likeliness for someone's desire to live there, visit there, spend there so much mm-hmm. more depending on the type. Now, what does all that money mean or prosperity mean? It means that people have a greater ability, capability, and desire to want to transact, whether it be in the rental market or the buying market, to have the support of all those infrastructures around them. So that's the, the chain of events explanation. But in simple terms, and this is the sad part, it doesn't have a clear correlation. It's not an instant singular thing that you can rely on. And that's the thing with property. Nothing is is very instant and singular point that you can rely on. Yes, we have some micro data pieces where you can do that, but on a macro piece of infrastructure, sometimes infrastructure can unlock a lot of zoning and create a lot of supply. Sometimes infrastructure has a lot of people excited about the jobs on the way in or the prospects of that project coming and they get very active in a local market due to speculation around what it will do. And that's pre. Sometimes infrastructure in the during phases gets people excited. And sometimes infrastructure in the post phases has little to no jobs on the post and it creates no further prosperity. So as a result, 
It is too messy for investors to rely on it in isolation to create a meaningful investment decision. But a successful investment decision relies on a total picture being successful or very prosperous. And a total picture should definitely involve a lot of infrastructure to make sure that that part of the picture is performing well. So that's my thoughts on why it's important for investors. Awesome. And so when looking at infrastructure, what mistakes do investors make when looking at the data? Yeah, I guess the first mistake is a recap of that last point, which is they look at it in isolation and they give too much impact to it without understanding the type of infrastructure, the diversity of infrastructure in the city, and then, of course, the pre versus post jobs. You know, renewable energy has been a huge upside for the country, and it's likely to continue to be when it comes to the dollar spending and job creation. But it can't be the only thing that economy has. Right. And if it, if it is the only thing that economy has, then you've got to look at the jobs are likely to be top-heavy in construction, and how many people does it take to operate a wind farm afterwards? Maybe what, four, five, six, I'm not sure. But uh, I have no idea. Yeah, it wouldn't be a lot, right? Okay. But I guess the main thing is so. the main thing there is that infrastructure types and diversity. The main thing is singular sort of correlation. And then the final thing is getting too excited with the Bs, the Bs being the billions, the spends, big dollars, big thinking, big talks. But thinking the truth is, big. I think the first thought is everyone's like big capital growth. Like yeah. that comes to mind, isn't it? It's like remind me of Dr. Evil from Austin Powers, like <laughs> 10 billion dollars with a little pinky thing to your your face. And um unfortunately it's not like that. Like 10 billion dollars of spend might, you know, create something phenomenal, but at the same time it might not do much. So I guess the key thing is we've got to look at it holistically and look at it from all sorts. Um, that's that's a core part. But this is where when we go into the, the report here and this white paper, which you can find out, by the way, on investikit.com.au on our research tab, it's totally free for the download. Uh, we wrote down a few benefits. So benefit one was obviously creating jobs, supporting local businesses during construction as well as on operation. We We went through a few jobs and a few projects and went through them. We even highlight some of the top 10 education infrastructure projects as an example of sampling some things that showcase a lot of post-job impact and prosperity post-job from students, money, things like that. Benefit two was improving connectivity and the accessibility of regional areas. As we know, we have probably some of the worst in the world in Australia for when it comes to population skew and where it sits across that diversity being quite weak. It should be much more spread than what we have today. Uh, and this talks about some of the game-changing infrastructure projects like the West Connects, like the metro tunnels, like the metro connections and road connections from different parts of major cities and even fast rail or you know other things like inland rails to improve connectivity. So these are some of the things in play. To shout out benefit three, increasing the attractiveness of smaller cities and livability of regional areas. This is coming back to that population distribution. This is not just about the connectivity from road, rail, or you know projects like that. This is now talking about lifestyle, precincts, stadiums, exhibitions, sports. What brings connectivity and livability better than you know an epic sports culture, an epic you know stadium, and live events? These sorts of things make a huge difference to a town's popularity. Other benefits that we've talked about in this report. Even medical infrastructure, I guess, was mm -hmm. another point to things that expand livability. But cleaner energy, more diverse power networks, these are a huge topic on the spending in Australia right now. And these were some of the four core components. We go into each state in this report, some of the core standouts, looking at percentage changes, 
significant projects, value of constructions in pipelines spread across sectors. We look at government funding. We look at uh, per capita spend and these sorts of things you can expect on a state-by-state level when you download this report. So from a perspective of infrastructure, that is the core, you know, I guess, key thing to expect when you're looking at this report and and uh, what you should take out when reviewing it. We obviously haven't seen much on infrastructure, like investment infrastructure like this before. Why is it not being talked about in the current environment? Yeah, this is human nature 101, right? It's very easy to look at the short term, the metrics right now in play, what is happening. And look, we're kind of guilty of that too, right? Every episode, we've been kind of keeping users and readers and listeners updated on interest rates. What happens if we'd stop talking about that all the time? Now, sure, we could do that. But at the same time, we want to be as holistic and, you know, informed across many avenues, the Mm -hmm. goods, the bads, the truth and that's what true research is about, not favoritism on just the good stuff. We want to talk about it all. And that's what we try and do here. But the truth is many people fall to the trap of that singular metrics or isolated metrics and focusing on the short term. If interest rates were aside, do you know what we would have right now? We would have a booming population, an undersupplied rental market, an undersupplied housing for sale market, and the most economic prosperity we've seen from unemployment's job advertisements, Mm. projects in the pipeline. So those listening, that is in simple form what you call fundamentals. And those fundamentals in the majority still exist. But we have this dark cloud of feeling uneasy, feeling uncertain, not knowing how much more money costs and increases happen. And poor people are are feeling a lot of this impact. Like a lot of people are feeling this. and, And I feel pretty sad about you know, what's happening in that front from the uncertainty and how much impact is in play. But at the same time, if you took that away, this is what we see. Mm. So I know it's going to be tough for many. And I know it's going to be... It's like a 12-month hit yeah, for everyone. Exactly. But if we didn't talk about it so often, maybe mentally you wouldn't be as draining. Is that what yeah, you're saying? No, I'm Paul? saying it's still very much draining for the pockets. I'm still yeah. very much oh, draining sure. for, for people out there. Don't don't get me wrong. This is very tough for, for many. But I guess the main thing is for those who want to be deep in understanding of the data that exists today, if you moved interest rates aside and borrowing capacity aside, you would see what I just saw before. Right. Undersupplied housing, undersupplied rental, booming population growth, booming prosperity from jobs and unemployment, cash in banks, but that's also reducing now. And then lastly, high pipeline of infrastructure. So this is the the missing middle, we could call it. This is the middle term or medium term of property that people are not talking about. And I think this is a key part to consider when it comes to property investing. However, I do feel that it's unfortunate that all this cloud is over the heads and minds of many, because for some people, it is just clouds and it will clear and they'll see what we're seeing here. But for other people, they won't. And, and this is where times are getting tough. And that's why we spent most of this episode to talk about solutions for people, to talk about ways that they can get ahead, to talk about ways that they can protect their family, increase their buffers, review their lending. And for those tuning in, I think, great, you know, go get yourself a copy of this white paper and check this out. But more than anything, have a chat to Lee and the team. and. Uh, they will be able to really make a positive difference through reviewing your scenario and seeing how they can help you with the finances. So thank you so much, everyone, I guess, for tuning in. And uh, big thank you you there. And thank you for all your support over 2022. I got a chance to check out all that media, the uh, the downloads, the clicks, the 
the popularity on the show as well as the popularity on our research download. So we just want to say a massive thank you because without you, we don't have the confidence to, and the love to keep producing what we produce from the research perspective. And of course, nerding out like us to have on the Property Nerds podcast for you all. So again, you know, if you'd like to continue supporting us, don't just download the research and, and you know, have a great time from that, but leave us a review and subscribe to the show. It would mean a world uh, to us if we could hear from you and just uh, hear what your thoughts are on the podcast. We haven't really asked for reviews in the past, so we're doing <laughs> doing this now and uh, we'd love to keep adapting. Improving. Good feedback so we can improve it better totally. and better for you guys. Totally. And so thank you so much. And, and I hope this provides you value when it comes to infrastructure analysis and of course, getting ahead with finances to make sure you've got that fellow nerd on your team, Lee here, to support you with your finances. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you. Guests appearing on this podcast may have a commercial relationship with the companies mentioned. Game over.